Welcome to Community Matters, a podcast from the Canadian Association of Community Health Centres. I'm your host, Hilary Leblanc. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing social prescribing and community health centres ahead of the Alliance for Healthier Communities virtual social prescribing conference this Thursday, October 20th. To give a full scope around this topic and the conference, I am joined by Natasha Baudin from the Alliance for Healthier Communities, Abby Richter, Registered Dietitian and SEED Program Lead at Guelph Community Health Centre, and Albisa Aliou, Health Promoter and Project Coordinator at Rexdale Community Health Centre. How are the three of you doing today? Doing good. Wonderful, glad to hear it. Um, so to start, I will start with you, Abby, um, because we have yet to feature Guelph Community Health Center in a podcast episode, although we did make a support community health centers video about Guelph. Uh, could you remind our audience and our community, uh, remind our audience about your community health center, the community you serve and the programs offered? Of course, I do really love that video. Every once in a while, I'll watch it to make myself feel better. <laughs> Um, So we support residents of Guelph who are experiencing barriers to health and well-being. Um, For example, people who are structurally and systematically discriminated against, people who experience houselessness, substance use disorders, newcomers to Canada, refugees, but really anybody who's experiencing barriers to reaching their health and well-being goals. We, We help them at the Guelph CHC. We have consumption and treatment services on site. We have a safer supply program. We were really involved in a new permanent supportive housing project that just started getting built in Guelph. Um, We have early on programming. Um, We breastfeed and chest feed programs. And then of course we have primary health care with dietitians, social workers, health guides that help connect people to services. And then I work on the SEED team, which is a food access uh, site in Guelph that's kind of incubated within the the health center. And we provide food access services. So our biggest venture right now is an online grocery store that is geared to income. It's on a sliding membership scale and it's also a social enterprise. So folks who can afford to pay full price for groceries, they can do that and then that offsets the price of of food for people who have who need to pay less we also do gardening and farming projects we have food and nutrition programming and then i run a fresh food prescription program which we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail later today and also on the 20th and then we you know overarching we have programs where we employ people with barriers to employment and we also have this amazing good food distribution program where we're able to buy surplus um, food and redistribute it to food acts other food access providers in Guelph because we have the infrastructure to make that happen really easily and we also have a food surplus distribution program which is really exciting with second harvest so or using high quality surplus food and giving it to people who want it. So lots going on in Guelph. That's amazing and a lot of innovation that in all honesty, I mean, there's so many community health centers I try to support, but that I was not aware of. And I think that that's that's super 
that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I've had the honor of featuring Rex Dale Community Health Center before for Pride of our Pride episode, which I was very happy to be able to do this year. Um, but Albisa, could you also remind our listeners about some of the Rex Dale's programs offered in the community that you serve here in Toronto? Well, thank you so much. That's great to hear that we we had Rexdale uh, shown during uh, Pride Month. So uh, here at Rexdale Community Health Center, we serve clients that are in North Etobicoke, so uh, this part of the city of Toronto. Um, our doors are open to support and advocate for physical, economic, social, and mental health, uh, generally well-being of our diverse community. So What's really great about our work is that we're working with community partners and, and all of this we do to really improve the quality care and the services that we have uh, for a diverse population. In terms of services, there's a lot going on here at the Community Health Center. So we have, uh, we have uh, primary care, so clinical services that are uh, offered uh, through a team of physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, dietitians, social workers, uh, a physiotherapist and um, what is also really great is that in collaboration with the city of Toronto we also offer dental services so uh, in terms of primary care this is one aspect of it and then I work for the health promotion uh, program that really is a large program that works on addressing social determinants of health by promoting healthy behaviors uh, and really creating the supporting environment where we build capacities in our community. So as part of this program, we have programs for youth. Uh, we have programs for families. We have programs for seniors. There's a lot of different programs that, that go under this umbrella. And different support that really, uh, at the end, address uh, social determinants of health but also health equity issues. And so a lot of our programs look at removing these barriers as well. And then uh, two other components are as well, we have the chronic disease management team that works on prevention and management of chronic disease. So this is has to do a lot of with client education and support for specific programs. And then we also have pathways to education that uh, really helps to reduce school dropout, but also offer support to uh, families and students. Uh, and, and it's been very successful. So there are a lot of all-encompassing services that we offer and a lot of very specific programs that work under these themes. And uh, yeah, this is uh, all the work that we really do to support our community here in North Etobicoke. And my work lands uh, within the health promotion team, and that's where the social prescribing uh, comes as well. And so I'll be happy to share more about this as we move on with the interview. Yes, I'm really excited to hear more about that. Yes, Natasha. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that's where the magic happens in the health promotion team. Yes, that's what that's what I'm hearing. That's, that is where the magic happens. Um, and Natasha, I'm very excited to have you on because you are the first provincial representative that we've had from a provincial association in the community health center world. Um, could you please inform our listeners about the Alliance for Healthier Communities and the work that you do with community health centers at the provincial level in Ontario? Sure. So we're the member organization for team-based primary care in Ontario. So that includes um, community health centers like Guelph and Rexdale. It includes team-based family health teams, um, Indigenous health centers like the Aboriginal Health Access Centers, nurse practitioner-led clinics, 
um, yeah, so we are the, the association. And one of the things that all of our members have in common is they're all committed to health equity. So when we talk about people who face more barriers, so we are all committed to reducing and eliminating those barriers. Um, they all deliver comprehensive primary health care and they are all community governed. So those would be the qualities that all of our member organizations share. And the Alliance um, you know, advocates for issues for these centers, tries to move some of those health equity goals forward, speaks up for populations that are not getting the services that they require, and uh, yeah, continues to support and, and, and support the issues that those CHCs and other organizations are working on. Absolutely. Um, and one of the ways that you do this, of course, is through conferences and things like this that are going on this Thursday. Um, so as we previously mentioned, you're hosting a conference about social prescribing, current practices and community conversations. Uh, Natasha, I was wondering if you could explain a bit more about what we're talking about when we say social prescribing and what benefits it provides in improving health and health care. Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe I'll just back up a little bit. So I'm relatively new to the Alliance. I've only been here for about six months. And previously, I was a health promoter for many years at Centertown Community Health Center. So I'm, I'm based in Ottawa. And um, that's why I keep doing shout outs for health promotion, because in my heart, I am a health promoter. That's my true nature, I think. And so just to go back uh, to your question. So did you want to start off talking about social prescribing a little bit and breaking it down? Sure. Yeah, it's definitely something that as as someone new to the health center world as well, but not the nonprofit world, I had no idea what we were talking about at all. And so I've learned a lot just even in building quickly this this podcast episode. So I would love to hear, you know, from some more expert point of view, what social prescribing is. And then, of course, yeah, what what are the benefits it provides to to our world as community health centers? Sure, sure. So the definite, I think we might all each have different definitions. The, the way I talk about social prescribing is it's connecting people with programs and services, non-clinical programs and services that support their health and well-being. So that could be get if people are food insecure, they need a meal before anything else can happen related to their health. Or people need homes, people need transportation, uh, people need fresh air, people need visits to nature. Uh, arts, culture, uh, culture can be very important, like especially when we talk about um, different communities, like having access to, to food, to, to things from your own culture, not necessarily from the dominant culture, and um, physical activity, and even just social connection can be a great social prescription. So those, that's, that would be my definition, but I wonder if, if you, if my colleagues here have anything yeah. to add. Feel free. No, I think that you did a great job, Natasha. I was having a conversation with somebody recently that um, was talking about social prescribing and they were focusing a lot on the social, like like social as in being with others, um, which I found interesting because I had always thought about it kind of like social determinants of health and prescribing things that affect those which can be social situations and, and reducing isolation. But I look at it more as those plus, you know, structural needs or things like food because I'm in food prescribing. And I think important important piece is that it is non-clinical programs and services, but some of that connection can happen in the, and does happen in the primary care space. 
um, which is interesting. And it's a nice link between doctors and the primary care team and community programs, which had, I think, sometimes had been missing in the past. Yeah. Yes, and maybe to add to that, Abby, because uh, I echo a lot of that, what you're sharing as well. A social prescribing uh, here at Maxdale, the way it felt is that it really kind of links the different departments that we have within and all the work that we do as departments. Uh, so it's been really well received that way because it has really served as a connector between our primary, between our health promotion department, chronic disease department. So, uh, but also it's been nice, nicely received by our providers as well, because there's a doctor seeing a client for a specific concern. And then it's really nice that they get to connect with all these other alternatives that the client can have to address other things that they've been talking about during that consultation. So, uh, yeah, and that way it's really, uh, it brings together all the work that we do at the center, which is great for us and stuff as well, but for the client to, to see all that they can really benefit from, from the services that we have, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna add, it's about asking a couple extra questions. So if you're a nurse diabetes educator and you're saying, okay, you have diabetes now and now you have to change your diet and you, and you need to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables. Okay, we'll see you next week. But if you don't ask those questions, oh, are you able to access fruits and vegetables? Do you need some support? Oh, like you need to do your physical activity every day. But if you don't ask those questions, well, and then like just bringing into this, you know, the social connection you mentioned, maybe it's a bit easier to do some physical activity in a walking group where you're connecting with others rather than just like looking at your exercise list at, I mean, I know just speaking for myself, I find it easier to exercise with others. So, and I think that's a real strength of CHCs is that we do ask those extra questions. We spend a little bit of extra time to get to know our clients and to find out what matters to them. Absolutely. It sounds to me as the, as the person a little bit from the outside that it, it, adds to the wraparound care model. It isn't just about the clinical, the primary health. It is, we offer all of these things. So we will ask those additional questions because we can try to get these people, those services or reduce the barriers. And I think that like, which ties into my next question. And the reason that I came up with the question is the language sounds different, but it's really just about finding what are the, the what are basic human needs and how can we get those needs met for you in a way that is kind and compassionate, which to me has been the CHC experience since joining CATCH. Um, so I will lead into my next question, which is that it seems to me social prescribing is what this model has always been doing by connecting primary care to various programs and services. Would you say, and I, I'll start with Alisa, um, is social prescribing another way of describing what community health centers do? And are there any particular new or added ways of organizing activities that build on the community health center model and further advance those goals? That's a great question, yes. So I think in some way it is. Uh, it's not like we are reinventing the wheel uh, with a lot of uh, with a lot of the colleagues that are doing this work when we talk is that, oh, we've been doing this before in some ways, right? Because a lot of our works and programs are supportive uh, of clients and really uh, are non-clinical in nature if we look at it that way. So in some ways it's the same. I think what's special about this is that it's very intentional and it's organized. Uh, it's organized and it's structured in a way uh, that 
provides a clear pathway to offer these supports, provides a clear pathway to connect all these resources that may be already available in the community. For example, there may be these groups that offer walks, there may be this uh, exercising programs, cultural programs that are out there, but you have a program that kind of creates uh, a structure uh, to find the right word that uh, really um, brings them together in the form of a prescription so that when the client comes and says that I have these interests, I have these needs, uh, then you kind of have that list of prescriptions and, and you can take it from your bucket of resources that you have. And what's also great about this process, I think, is that uh, you can kind of see, you can see the progress of the clients as well. Like, and so they may come for one thing to speak to their doctor, and then they get this extra thing that is contributing to their well-being. And you can see this and you can track this and see how it's helping them. And just like create all these connections in the way. So I think in that way, um, having this very specific structure and this really uh, this goal to support clients in this way is what makes it unique from all the separate programming that we do. And one strong part about it, I think, is that it really unites all these great things that we're doing. Amazing. Abby, I know you're also Guelph Community Health Center. Do, is there anything you wanted to add? Because I see you nodding along so enthusiastically. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Carrie, our health promoter, does a lot of the, the social prescribing. So could talk about this for a long time. But from my perspective, um, I agree with everything that you said. Um, I think it's also, in a way, really different than what has previously been the dialogue with community health centers, because social prescribing really easily takes it off like an individual's need to change or make the right decisions or you know choose healthier foods by showing that there's you know structural needs for people that aren't there um and now we have a dialogue that's really easily had with social prescribing um which helps and also at our center it's allowed us to have yeah a different structure to connecting people with programs and services for example we now have a community connector. So in the past, doctors would try their very best to connect people to services, but if they didn't have time or, you know, an email forgot to be sent or they couldn't connect with somebody again, our community connector can, can do that work of breaking down barriers to these specific programs. For example, her name's Kim, can call somebody and say, you know, do you need transportation help? do you have a mental health concern that we can provide supports for that can help you access this program better um and that infrastructure has been very important for the food prescribing work um because it's easy to say like i'm providing this service it's a good service we're providing people with food that need it but there's still so many barriers just that are there systematically that that service actually isn't inherently helpful for everybody if you don't have that extra bit of help that was provided through our social prescribing movement um yeah and i think the organization piece is huge like organizing us into a movement um 
because now like in Guelph, we want to expand food prescribing to people out or health centers outside of the CHC model that have less of this dialogue. Like it is social prescribing is a great fit for community health centers. But now with social prescribing, we can have this dialogue with other health centers that may not be like as, you know, they might need to change their thinking a little bit about things, which social prescribing and the work we've done as health centers can really help us to do that, I think. That sounds amazing. Natasha, did you have anything else you wanted to add as well as a response to that question? Wow, there, we've just covered so much interesting ground. It's really got my my wheels turning. Um, I guess I'll speak to Centertown. Like, yes, the social prescribing was similar to the work our community development and health promotion team was doing. And what the social prescribing brought was a, really a lot of intention around it. So we had a clear referral pathway. We made it easy for our colleagues, especially our colleagues in primary care to make those referrals. We had like the link worker role who could do the follow-up and have some of those longer conversations. So we actually found that it really increased referrals to our existing internal programs, as well as our new social prescribing programs, because suddenly we had an easy way for, for our colleagues to make those referrals. Um, yeah, I have lots, I could say a lot. <laughs> and also give it that feedback that you talked about. So so it's one thing if like, if I say, oh, you to a client, you seem kind of stressed out. Do you wanna come to my stress reduction program? They're like, who are you, <laughs> you know? But if they've been working with a provider of a nurse or a doctor for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, like that could be some of the longest relationships in that client's life, living downtown, um, and when the doctor says, you know, my colleague Natasha runs this stress reduction program, I think I think it might be something that might work for you. Then that gives a little bit of um, like they know the clients, they're making good referrals because they know them well. And then the, that it comes from their provider gives a little gravitas to that referral. And then I'm able to, because we're, we're tracking it through the EMR, it's not just an informal mention. Oh, you should take this yoga program. It's like, we're tracking it and then there can be feedback. And I can say, your client has attended all eight sessions. And then the doctor can tell me, wow, we had annual checkup um, this year and the anxiety is so dramatically reduced and it made the checkup go smoother because we were able to stay on topic. And so then when, you, when you're able to communicate and share that feedback, it's, it's awesome. Like, and that's just one example, you know? No, that's an amazing example and really like a, a very clear and concise way of saying like this is directly how it would impact and help the person and having a whole team involved. And I think that that's, that's a really great for anyone listening to this who isn't in this world and wondering more about what the benefits are. That very perfect example. Um, Abby, I'm very excited to hear about your concurrent session entitled Fresh Food Prescribing and what the community is saying, especially after you said all of that very interesting, innovative stuff about what's going on over in Guelph. Um, can you tell us more about some of the, like more in depth about the work that's going on um, and a little bit about the concurrent session, if you can give any spoilers to what I'll get to hear on Thursday. <laughs> For sure. I'll start with maybe um, describing our program a little bit because then it'll be easier to explain the session but uh, food prescribing started mostly out of the states like after the social prescribing movement but in the states they started wholesome wave which was a big food prescribing program and we started a smaller scale program at Guelph uh, right before the pandemic it was 12 weeks so people with chronic related or a nutrition related chronic health concerns 
that were also food insecure could be prescribed food. Um, and that looked like giving people vouchers that they could use at the seed and our services. So at the time it was a market, now it's an online grocery store with the pandemic. And people can choose the fruits and vegetables that they get. And alongside that program, we're also doing a research study. So um, Dr. Matt Little from UVic is helping us with the research side of that. The 12 week program was a uh, pre and post survey, um, mostly questions about people's health and well-being and how they how they felt about their health, which I think is very important. And then now we're just finishing a year long food prescribing program. So very, very similar doctors, dietitians, social workers, even community workers. We, we were pretty uh, loose with who could refer to the program. Um, could refer clients with nutrition-related chronic health concerns and who were food insecure, and they received these vouchers for a year to buy fruits and vegetables online, and it got delivered to their house, which was a really important part of our program and unique to our food access service because right there it takes out a lot of barriers to um, our program. And then we did a survey very similar to the pilot 12 week program. <clears throat> and then we also did blood work. So our clients are already getting blood work, some of them because of diabetes or high cholesterol or different reasons. So we were able to work with clients and our primary health care team to use the EMR to the electronic medical record system to work for our program. So we're analyzing that data. We're also doing very, very important qualitative interviews because in terms of equity, uh, that piece is like most important. Hearing our clients' stories about how they actually felt during the program is much more important to me and you know, to our community than the, you know, the blood work and stuff. I think we need to do that to try and make change to policy and that sort of thing. But I just really want the community story to come through versus just all those numbers. Um, so what we're talking about in the session is how it really works well in primary care to have food prescribing and the factors that and the facilitators that lead to success, but also some big things that we, we need to address when scaling and you know, doing more food prescribing work, because there's still some equity concerns, you know, people who don't use primary care um, in our community, we have a hard time reaching them. Um, as a dietitian, I think we need to expand the, the products that people can get through food prescribing. Um, you know, it's not really fair. It's, it's, there's some equity issues with saying, you know, you get money, but only for fruits and vegetables. So we're really, really trying hard to move that needle a little bit and, and open up the program to more um, fruit and vegetables. And there's some other, yeah, there's still barriers to our program that we need to help reduce and change the model, especially if we're going to be helping more people. Um, so we're going to be talking about that in the concurrent session. We're going to link food prescribing to social prescribing and the pathway and kind of show how it works at our center, how we fit food prescribing into the social prescribing model at the health center. We are gonna hear from a community member, which is the best part of the presentation. 
Um, and we asked some really important questions, you know, like, would you rather a really, a really interesting part about food prescribing is when you think about it, you're like, and same with social prescribing in a way, should we just give people money? Because like food, food insecurity is an income based issue, people need to get paid more. So we're in a in the qualitative data, we're asking people about if they'd rather just get cash. And surprisingly, anecdotally, we haven't done the analysis yet, but a lot of people are saying, no, I like being in the program and receiving the vouchers because there is this social aspect. You know, I know that someone is looking out for me by referring me to this program. People are checking in at least three times a year, if not more. A lot of our community orders over the phone because of technology barriers. And so they're talking to people, you know, weekly which was really eye-opening because I was struggling. I was like, you know, we're building this in intervention that's really hard, if there's a burden, we have to, people have to use our intervention in the way we've set it up. Would people just rather us, you know, give them money? I don't think anybody would allow us to do that, but <laughs> um, it, it's nice to know that people really like that social aspect. And I think that really speaks to the importance of social prescribing too. Um, so yeah, come to the concurrent session. We have lots of things built in to get engagement from the audience. If people want to share about their health center and how they think it could work well, or how they think it couldn't work well. I love to talk about it because it was a huge learning curve and I want other health centers to just be able to like do it quicker. <laughs> um, for example, yeah, we'll talk about it in the session, but there's, <laughs> there's lots to talk about. Like funders really love to fund the food aspect and give you money for food. But as health promoters know and health center employees know, like it takes a lot of staff time to run programs that actually reduce barriers because everyone has such individual needs that takes time and connection with people and phone calls which is lovely, but it is difficult if the, the staff time isn't there. And then ultimately the programs suffer. So we are gonna talk about that all. I'm really excited about it. Um, and I hope lots of people come. Well, based on just that many like intro, you've got me sold. Um, and as honestly, um, as someone who actually grew, grew up like on like food bank food, mm -hmm. I completely can understand the wanting to like relinquish the burden of having to go to the place and sometimes the yeah. shame wrapped up and trying to make the decisions like I remember being in high school and trying to hide the fact that we were going so that I wouldn't run into like the football team and so being able to have it delivered and someone else focus and that mm -hmm. social aspect I can completely understand from my upbringing why okay. people would prefer this method and why it is so important and I can also hear and understand that yeah people are it's very easy to give money for apples and tomatoes but not so much the person standing yeah. the phone calls and not everyone thinks of all of the steps mm -hmm. that go into it so I'll mm -hmm. be there I that was that was so <laughs> that was so interesting like, I could, that could have been the whole podcast I would have listened <laughs> everything like, about vegetables which is so funny it's like <laughs> finding just... finding a dignified way for people to access food and that yeah. might be a non-charitable model and that's yeah I think that's what abby's hinting at is like a mm -hmm. bit of systems change about how we think yeah. about all Absolutely. kinds of things 
Yeah. Yeah. And it connects back to, you know, I felt so connected to Albizo, what you said about, you know, social prescribing is building a movement is and organizing us is I hope to use the work we're doing to make policy change because ultimately our program as it is right now is meeting a need in our community, but it's not necessarily a sustainable way that people are getting paid more having higher incomes or having ODSP checks be higher, which means that the issue is always going to be there. So if we can find an innovative way to use social prescribing to make policy change, I think that's, that's where the magic will happen. But again, we need to be organized. We need to have a movement, which social prescribing is helping us do. Um, but that's why these conferences are so important too, so that everybody can think about what's going on and be on the same page and make connections so that we can get that work going. Absolutely. It's all about policy advocacy, trying to move the, the bar. I completely mm -hmm. agree. Um, Albisa, I was excited to hear as well that you've been working with the Alliance on their ongoing Black-focused social prescribing project. Um, I would love to hear a bit about that and also social prescribing at Rexdale Community Health Centre and uh, how it's helping your centre advance their, their goals with the community. Oh, definitely my, my pleasure. Yes, yeah, so we have started social prescribing a few years ago, actually. Uh, at first, we had this uh, uh, bigger project that was healthy, uh, kids, uh, healthy kids community challenge, and it was a provincial program. And uh, we had a colleague that brought the idea of social prescribing. She had seen it in the UK, and we just uh, tapped the opportunity to uh, sort of um, use some of the resources from this project to start social prescribing. And so, in the beginning, we started by supporting uh, youth. We, we, by supporting families with children and newcomer families that are in our, so it was uh, about providing activities for these uh, families that were new and really it was a great opportunity for them to create connections. So uh, it was really uh, beautiful. In terms of how it worked when we initially started is that we, uh, we had this whole referral pathways with our primary care team. So uh, our primary care, uh, providers had a prescription pad where they would have all these lists of activities. And then when newcomer families would go and see them, then uh, as they talked with the primary care provider, they could look at the activities and see uh, what worked for them based on what they were needing at that point. And it was just uh, so beautiful. It was uh, really, really well received. So this is really how it started. And so then uh, after that, we moved on to also um, a project called Pharmacy. We've, we've been doing a food prescription as part of social prescribing, Abby, and uh, I could hear a lot of the points that you were mentioning. Um, just uh, we did, we had the project called Pharmacy and we were collaborating with Future on that where we were providing fresh fruits and vegetables to, to our clients, uh, you know, that had uh, issues with access to food. And so um, what was really nice about you know, uh, oftentimes we think about like creating this dependency and like, how can we actually empower our clients because we're providing this food, but is that really help? Is it sustainable? Is it helping them long-term? And what was really beautiful about a partnership that we created with Toronto Employment Services just um, in 2021, that's when we started this pilot, is that we uh, 
collaborated with Toronto Employment Services to link uh, people that were receiving Ontario Works uh, with with CHCs across Toronto. So there were 11 CHCs across Toronto. And so the clients would get uh, would get uh, food support, like they would get a gift card with uh, fresh fruits and vegetables that was worth for six months. But at the same time, the social prescribing aspect was that these clients were connected with services that were within the center. So it came from tests to the client getting food support, but then also being able to speak with a dietitian and, and also get the support that they got from the center. So this is another part of uh, how we've moved on with social prescribing in different ways. And, and we did this last year and we're looking for ways to also continue now. Another exciting part of our journey with uh, social prescribing has been the Black focused social prescribing. And um, we're together on that table with Natasha. It's uh, the project came from Alliance for Healthy Communities. And uh, we are, the goal of this project is to develop a social prescribing model that is Black that is uh, grounded on Black and Afrocentric values and principle. And the focus is to support uh, families with children, so Black families with children. And, and we, are a, we, we are a couple of organizations. It's Taibu, it's Black Creek, Somerset West Community Health Center. And it's really beautiful because um, all the organizations bring uh, different strengths to the table as we are starting this new project. And so, uh, for example, just recently we had the training offered by Tadbu that was on an African well-being model of care. So all of us are working together to really um, create this model that will uh, serve Black families uh, with children. We're in the early stages, and probably Natasha can even say uh, more to that. We're having conversations, having consultations, focus groups with communities, and really, yeah, it's exciting to see uh, what model we can make. Um, through this work, and 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 of course, it it is it comes to supporting families with children. So it's a lot to see. Yeah, I'll just I'll just say a, a little maybe four years ago or a little over four years ago, we started the alliance started with our pilot project. I believe both of your centers were involved. We had eleven CHCs across Ontario that started piloting social prescribing and a lot of the tools and. You know, we have a guidebook for primary healthcare organizations to implement social prescribing. And so we have all these great tools. And right now the Alliance is working on a social prescribing project for older adults called Links to Wellbeing. So we're, we're trying to get older adults referred to the Seniors Active Living Centers. And then this, this next project, the Black Focus Social Prescribing, we're looking at some of the, you know, some of the great work that came out of our other social prescribing projects and saying like, how can we make this culturally specific, culturally safe, Afrocentric, and like how, what do we need to do to look at the healthcare system and decolonize it and make it safe for our black community members. So we're having some deep conversations and some deep thinking. And I, I would say, I'm sure you would agree, Elisa, like the conversations are amazing because it's, it's really not, it's not on the surface, it's going deep. How can we make sure our clients are feeling culturally safe, feeling acknowledged and celebrated in this kind of work. That's amazing. It was so great to hear all like in your list of other um, community health centers that are a part of this, some of our, the Catches members as well, that you're all doing such amazing work. And of course, as a Black woman, I definitely feel, you know, that that is important to feel culturally safe 
everywhere you go, especially at community health centers where your primary care or your basic needs are what is part of the conversation. You should feel safe there. Um, and yeah, I've had, I, we've had Somerset West and uh, Black Creek on the, on our podcast before. So they are friends of the podcast, which is very <laughs> nice to hear. Um, Natasha, I will ask you one last question that was not on the list. So I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, but just any other final words or thoughts about the conference Thursday and things that you want to say to encourage anyone who's listening who might have time. They might have about 24 hours left to register. And I hear <laughs> there aren't very many spots left. But if you wanted to give any other insight or highlights into what people can expect on Thursday, uh, myself included. Um, and then and then we will wrap up the podcast. For sure, for sure. And I will also just mention that we are launching, the Alliance is launching a new social prescribing project which is social prescribing for mental health. So we will be having an information webinar this Friday for those who, for our, our members in Ontario who would be interested in, in becoming a part of that program. Uh, so going to the conference, it's coming up on October 20th. We have a full day. So our morning plenary is called Black Social Prescribing for Black Health. And so we have Paul Taylor from FoodShare, Paul Bailey from the Black Health Alliance, and Cheryl Prescott, who's the ED of Black Creek having a conversation about how do we dismantle anti-Black racism in the healthcare system? How do we move Black health forward? And how does social prescribing fit into that? So that's gonna be amazing. Cascades is presenting a session on climate change, resilience and social prescribing with some great speakers. Um, we have our social prescribing student collective doing a presentation. Uh, we have a session on social prescribing for older adults. Um, we have our afternoon plenary is presented by the Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing, and it's called Growing Momentums, the State of Social Prescribing Across Canada. Uh, we have the value of social prescribing in clinical practice. I'm often asked, like, how do we engage clinicians? How do we get clinicians on board? So we've got some clinicians and one non-clinician who is myself who will be talking about how, like, how does, how do we make this work? I'm really excited about that one. And then we have a, this is how we do it. And Alvisa will be part of that presentation. And Abby's colleague, Carrie, will be talking about, this is how we implemented it. Because we're also answering a lot of questions. People are like, I want to start. How do I start? Where do I start? Here's how we did it. Here's how you can do it. And then we'll be ending the day with an arts, culture, and well-being community of practice um, session, which is just going to be like, just looks very strong and very exciting. And throughout the day, we're going to have some, you know, experiential activities so people can sort of socially prescribe themselves. So opportunity to try a powwow workout based on traditional powwow moves, an opportunity to try West African dance and think about how you could, you know, incorporate that into your work. And our senior center without walls will be um, demonstrating how they do trivia over the phone so that people who maybe are wanting to stay closer to home can still be part of a senior center. And we've mailed out some packages that have like therapeutic coloring and different activities in them. So hopefully people will be able to engage in some of these activities during the day. We really wanted to make the conference, we wanted to infuse it with the spirit of social prescribing and making it fun. We know a lot of our staff have been through a lot in the last two and a half years. People are working really hard. So we wanted to make this day a bit of, um, a bit of a social prescription for our for our colleagues and give them a you know let 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 there be some fun in it as well 
sounds amazing. I will be registered as soon as we hang up. It sounds awesome. I mean, I was sold on the food and then uh, oh, wow, West African dance. Like now you're speaking to me personally. I will be there. And so um, people, people can register on the Alliance website, which is alliance.org and just go to the social prescribing conference and it's a sliding scale registration. So there's still a few spots left. Perfect. You already segued into my next question. Of course, it's alliance.org for any other information as well in terms of what the Alliance is doing. Um, Abby, would you like to just shout out how anyone could learn about Guelph and about the food social prescribing that you are doing? For sure. Uh, so the Seed has an Instagram account and a website that's easily Googleable. I don't know that a full thing right now but uh you can find like we have some published uh academic reports on food prescribing if you want to give those a read and then the guelph chc's website is guelphchc.ca and you can find out more about the guelph chc there i believe it's the seed guelph.ca yes okay thank you <laughs> no worries that's my job um and Elvisa, if you wanted to shout out um Rexdale Community Health Center how anyone can learn more about the amazing work you're doing there absolutely and we just have a fresh website that we have relaunched recently so um definitely it's www.rexdalechc.com and what's really good about the website is that it really enlists all the programs that maybe I could not mention in detail clients can now also book appointments online as well through our website which is really flexible uh, so I would definitely yeah, leave that there and then we also have an Instagram handle um, it's rchcy and fs so it's youth and family services so that's a lot of the the programs that would be posted there that are part of our youth and family services wonderful i want to thank the three of you for taking the time to talk to me about this today i i feel so inspired and excited every time i do this podcast i learn something new about the community health center model and what's going on that i had no idea about so i feel inspired i will be there thursday i hope anyone listening has the time to do so and if not that they've learned more and have some takeaways and go and expand their knowledge about social prescribing because it sounds like hopefully a new wave and new policy and advocacy for reducing barriers which is what we're all trying to do in our own organizations thank you guys so much thank for being you. here today thank, thank you, you so much, Hillary. bye Thank you for listening to Community Matters, a podcast from the Canadian Association of Community Health Centres. To learn more about our association and the important work of community health centres across Canada, go to www.cachc.ca.